0: You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. We're going to continue in our uh, series that we're doing on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer. Um, So let's put that up and let's read it together. We were in such a hurry last week that we never, never got to. Matthew 6, sorry. All right, in this manner, read it with me, sorry. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to do uh, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I, um, I have a lot of Kind of groundwork to lay, so I'm actually not going to be able to finish the whole portion of just these two, (laughs) these two sentences. So today we're going to work on, and forgive us our debts. And next week we'll we'll work on and as we forgive our debtors. So I've got some groundwork to lay. So and forgive us our debts. Um, in Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, he uses the word sin instead of debts and forgive us our sin as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Um, but the word debt is, is a very interesting word. We're going to talk in bookkeeping terms today um, because that's actually in the Bible what, what Jesus is speaking through. He's using bookkeeping terms. He's using accounting terms. And so we all know the word debt. I'm sure we've all been in debt at some point in time, owed somebody money or had a credit card. If you haven't, you need to come teach us all. <laughs> You're the one. We need to learn from you. But it's, a, it's the system of the world is um, debt, right? Anyways, so the word debt in the Bible is used many times. But there's two different words for debt now. So let me explain myself a little bit. You know that the Bible has been translated from Hebrew and translated from Greek and into English that we, we read it. But when we read it, we read it as kind of one word. But there's sometimes a deeper meaning, of a, a multiple meaning that, goes, meaning that goes behind it. So there's one word for debt in the Bible. It's used multiple times. And it means um, a, loan that it, a loan that is owed that can be repaid. Okay? And so, in other words, your credit card, or it's a, it, it's a loan that, yes, in this lifetime, you will be able to pay it. But then there's the word debt that's used in Matthew in the Lord or Matthew 6.12, in the Lord's prayer, and it has a different meaning, and it's only used two times in the Bible, and we'll look at the other time next week, but it's only used two times in the Bible, and it means this, a debt that you cannot repay. Actually, I'll read it, what it actually means from the Strongs. Uh, it means a loan that is justly and legally due but cannot be repaid. It's too large, it's too great. Like in other words, bankruptcy. You, you cannot pay this back. So we're saying, forgive us our debt. Forgive us this loan, this, this, this loan that I cannot repay. There's just no way I can repay this forgive me of this. It's like, you know, when you're at a restaurant, this has never happened to me, but when you're at a restaurant, and we use this as a metaphor, but when you're at a restaurant and, and you can't pay the bill, you get to, you can say, oh, I'll do the dishes or what, whatnot, and you go work off that bill. There's no working off this bill. There's nothing you can do. But oftentimes as Christians, it sneaks in there. And this is why we're laying a foundation for this. Oftentimes it sneaks in there and we begin to try to earn our forgiveness from God. If I, we messed up, we feel really guilty. We, we, we feel shame. Um, Our conscience, you know, just, we just, it gets the best of us. And suddenly we try to work off our sin, work off this debt, but you can't earn, you can't earn this forgiveness. There is nothing that you can do. No amount of dishwashing in the world will pay this debt off. Nothing, okay? And it's important that we, that as we go through this today, that you understand there is nothing that you can do to earn this. But because we do this, we begin to think, you know what, if I just pray more, if I You know, maybe if I just serve in the church more, then I will feel better because I have really messed up. I've really disappointed God. Maybe if I, um, I don't know, you know, spend longer times in prayer or whatever, you just, you make up this thing where you, if I just serve, I'll just try harder, I'll just do better. And we try and earn it. What happens when we have that kind of thinking is we actually end up making people earn forgiveness too. If I have to earn it, then you should too. And so when it comes to releasing forgiveness to someone, we struggle because we think you need to earn forgiveness. That's next week's, okay, so, because he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Same word, as we forgive those that cannot repay the debt. But when we have that thinking of earn, then you need to earn too. Okay. Often if we have trouble receiving forgiveness for ourselves, then we have trouble releasing forgiveness to others. And that's another, that's another point to it is when we come to say, Father, forgive us, and we recognize that there isn't any way that we could earn it. It's this free gift that we receive it. But when we step into this place of trying to earn it, then we're not actually receiving the forgiveness that he's freely given. Look at this verse, Matthew ten eight. The end part of it says, freely you have received, now freely give. Freely you have received. You have been given this gift of forgiveness freely. Now freely you give. Now freely you give, you receive. And oftentimes you can't release because you don't receive. And and you don't receive it because somewhere along the way, this has crept in into our our life into your thinking process because of shame, because of um, condemnation, which we'll talk about at the end, but it creeps in and says, I don't deserve this. Well, you don't deserve it but I must have to work and, and get the father's approval somehow. And so you'd end up not receiving the forgiveness that he's freely given to you. Romans 4.3. I'm really laying some foundations today. So we're, we're, we're really going into the Bible today. Uh, Romans 4.3. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay. This is another bookkeeping term. <laughs> Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him. In other words, it was counted to him. It was put in his bank account. Abraham believed God and God put righteousness in his bank account. That word means accounted, that word accounted means it was credited to him. It was counted to him. It was put into his account. So Abraham believes God and in his account, righteousness shows up. So when we believe God He puts righteousness in our account. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What he's saying here is, is when, Jesus, when Jesus died, he reconciled the entire world to him. That all of the sin that you sinned, that I sinned, that they sinned before, today, tomorrow, all of the sin was taken care of, was covered. Then it says, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, believe God, come to God, for he made him who knew no sin for us, excuse me, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is what the good news is. That's why it's saying we are imploring you be reconciled to God because God took his son who knew no sin and he made him be sin so that we could be righteousness. He put sin in Jesus's account and put righteousness in our account. There was a transaction that took place, Kate. Um, the story of Barabbas. This is literally the picture of what this verse is saying. Barabbas is on death row. He is up for murder. He is a thief. He is stolen. He murdered some people and he is up on death row. He is guilty as charged. Guilty, they know it. He needs to die. It's time for him to die. That's what the laws were in that day. I'm not saying that we should do that. Okay. And so it's, he's up for it. And then they bring Jesus up, who's done nothing. He knows no sin. He has done nothing wrong, not one guilty thing. And they bring Jesus up and they say, who should die? And everyone says, Jesus, Jesus should die. Hasn't done anything. Barabbas, guilty, guilty. And so they let Barabbas, the guilty man, go. And Jesus died that's literally the transaction that takes place it was Barabbas that was supposed to die it was Barabbas that was the guilty one but instead Jesus took it and went on the cross that's the transaction that takes place hebrews 7 27 it says unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people, talking about before Jesus. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. Notice it says he did it once and for all. So he took care of all of the sin once and for all. Okay, Hebrews 10.10. For God's will was for you to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. So all the sin of the world was covered, was taken care of when Jesus died. People don't go to hell because of their sin. They go because they don't believe. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 6 47. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. So it's by confessing on Jesus and the sacrifice that He paid and saying, I I believe. But when you believe in something, you follow it. It's, it's one thing to say, yeah, no, I believe. I believe in Jesus. But when you believe in something, you follow it. I was trying to think of an example, and this is the best example I could think of. When you have young children, you some way, somehow end up in moms groups. I mean, probably because you're moms, but like you, you do. And there's like all, there's a vast variety of moms groups out there and a vast variety of the way people believe. When I have first had Shaylee, there were um, online groups, which they probably don't even have anymore. Like it's probably on Facebook. We didn't have Facebook. Oh my gosh, I'm molden. So, (laughs) and um, I remember Lisa kind of turning me on to them. So there were all these different groups and there were cloth diaper groups and then there were non-cloth diaper groups and there were breastfeeding moms and formula fed moms and there were um, vaccinated moms that were for vaccinations, moms that weren't for vac, all these groups. But my point is that the reason you ended up in one of those groups was because you believed it. I raised my children in a certain way because I believed it. You believe what you follow. You, you know your car needs gas, so you fill it with gas. You go to the gas station because you believe that a car needs gas. You believe what you follow. You don't just say, yes, I believe my car needs gas and put water in it. But that's what we do, though. But you don't actually believe it then. Otherwise, you would put gas in your car, right? I heard someone say the other day, you know, Jesus turns water into wine. Do you think he'll be turning water into gas? <laughs> I said, I'll be the first to try. I'll take one for the team. <laughs> My husband says, no, you won't. <laughs> so when you believe it, you will follow it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be no sin. (laughs) Good Lord. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So God took the sin of the world, put it on Jesus, that's why he had to die. And that transaction takes place that when we believe, just like Abraham, when we believed in God, righteousness is credited to our account. Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness is right standing with God. I, I, I can boldly come into the throne room of God. There is not, he sees righteousness when he looks at me. No, I credited righteousness to you. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm, I'm laying a foundation So then Jesus says that we are to daily pray because just up ahead of it, it says, um, give, us our, um, give us this day our daily bread. So you know that this is a daily prayer. And so the, right after that, he says, and forgive us of our sins. When the sins were taken care of already, but there's still this place where we go, forgive us of our sins. And there's many reasons why. One is that the Holy Spirit convicts us. And the reason the Holy Spirit convicts us is because he's always wanting to take us from glory to glory and keep us on the right track. Like, hey, put that away. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Let's not do that again. He convicts us of sin. But the enemy always comes along and tries to condemn you for your sin. He tries to bring condemnation. And what condemnation does is it messes with you. And, and it, begins to, it, it, it brings in shame, it brings in all those things and it makes you begin to think that you have to work and earn your forgiveness. Because condemnation says the Father is ashamed of you. Condemnation says you're no good. Who do you think you are? You never measure up. Look at all the other people around you. They've got it together, you don't. You should work harder, you should pray harder, you should sing louder, you should do better things condemnation says that conviction doesn't do that the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and it says hey mm-mm, and you feel it you know you're like oh yeah I shouldn't do that but it's always to correct it's always to cause fruit to come forth it's always to build you up but condemnation is the opposite it causes you to separate yourself from God conviction brings you closer to God where you say Father forgive me but condemnation it pulls you farther away from the Father And so look at this verse. It says, Hebrews 9, 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He's talking about your conscience that Jesus paid the price for all sin. But when we come and sit in that place, what happens when we say, Father, forgive us, is actually purifying our conscience. That's what takes place. Look at Hebrews 10, 22. Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean for our bodies have been washed with pure water. So when we go and we say, Father, forgive us, first of all, one of the things that it is huge is it's relational. Like I said, condemnation will always cause you to draw away from the Father. But recognizing that when you come, you sit, it's a relational transaction that's taking place throughout the whole thing that says, Father, I, I need you. Forgive me. It's a conversation that's still taking place that says, I messed up. But recognizing that righteousness is already in your account and that you don't need to earn this forgiveness. It's already there. And so it's this relational thing that actually begins to take place as you bring up, this is what's going on, Father, forgive me. These are debts that I could never repay. It also reminds you of the finished work of Jesus. It also puts into remembrance what he has done for me instead of bringing into remembrance every sin I've done all along the way. So condemnation will take us into dead works. Condemnation, will, will, like we talked at the beginning, will take us back to that place where we begin to try to earn the, earn the forgiveness from God. And dead works is anything that would cause you to begin to try to earn. It causes, or it's anything that, would, um, that you do that's trying to appease God. God must be angry with me. God must be upset. I think God's removed himself from me. And you're tr- so you try to appease him. Or dead works is anything that you do where God hasn't sanctioned, where he hasn't said, hey, let's do that. It's dead works. It doesn't, it doesn't bring fruit. It doesn't cause fruit to come forth. And when we get into that place of condemnation, which happens when we don't come to the father with our struggles and with our sins it's the place where the enemy can come in and say you little loser hebrews 10 verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice. There it is again, once and for all, single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You are being made holy. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. That's, the Holy Spirit testifies, this is so. Jesus paid a price for your sin. That's why when you start to get into those thoughts that are that say that I I've really messed up, God's mad at me, God's turned his back on me, I need to work for this, you need to know that is not the Holy Spirit. Because it says the Holy Spirit testifies to this. So when the Holy Spirit testifies to it, you are forever being made holy, that he is... Coming alongside you, he is your helper. What's he helping you? Helping ordering your steps. He's helping you walk the way you're supposed to. He's helping you get to the place you need to get. He comes alongside you and so he will convict you of sin, but he will not condemn you for your sin. So the Holy Spirit also testifies of this. And he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day says the lord and i will put my laws in their heart and i will write them on their minds this this is this is why you could get away with stuff before you were saved that it didn't really bother you and then you got saved and all of a sudden oh i can't do that now and i can't do that because his laws are written on the inside of you his ways are written on the inside of you and suddenly oh i just can't seem to that's because he's written on the inside of you. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices and we, when we get into condemnation, we let our conscience get the, or we, get, we let the enemy come and speak to our conscience we get into condemn, condemnation we try then to offer sacrifices for our sin and, and Jesus says, you'll pray like this forgive me Father that's how you'll pray you won't try to earn it it's already been paid for you'll come to the Father and you'll say, forgive me. And then it says, and I will remember it no more. Now I heard this, I always thought this was a funny, because I heard it, people are like, and he throws it from the East to the West and then you go to him and you're like, Jesus, I have this issue. And then he's like, or you know, Father, I'm so sorry. You know, I just keep messing up. And he's like, this is the first time I've seen it. Like, that just didn't make sense to me. Or when you're like, "Um, you know, Father, when I messed up and I did this and apparently God's like, I don't remember. I heard this and, and it really brought some clarity to me, so I'm going to bring, it, <laughs> the word remember means he doesn't bring it up. Because I thought that was strange. I thought, how, how could he not know that I did those things? How does he just forget it? And then I heard someone say, if, if that were true, then God would not remember most of our lives. So what he doesn't do is he doesn't bring it back up. What does the condemner do? He brings it back up. That is not God. He says, I won't, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. We're We're not going there again. We're not bringing it back up. I'm not gonna haunt you with it. I'm not gonna come back to you and say, look what you've done, look at, no. He says, I'm not bringing it up. But here's the thing, neither should you. And this is the place of our daily communication with God, where we say, forgive us our debts. Meaning, there is such a great debt. I'm gonna mess up again, I messed up here. It's such a great, I cannot earn your forgiveness. You paid it all. And so I'm looking to you in this to lead and to guide me and to continue to convict me, but I'm not gonna keep bringing it back up and condemning myself because he paid a debt I could never pay. Not enough dishes in the world to pay the debt that I owed. Isn't that awesome? Amen. So you are free and you are forgiven and righteousness has been placed in your account. And so remember this, when you go to pray that sin has been taken out of my account and righteousness is put in, and I am now the righteousness of God in Christ because his spirit dwells in me. Amen? Amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.